0: Good morning. Oh, there we are. Good morning. We're awake. You can hear me. Can you hear me? All right. It's great to see you all here this morning as we gather for worship uh, and to be together as a family of God, whether you're here in person, whether you're joining us online. Welcome. I am so glad that you are here. So I think it was um, right around right after the holidays, like right after Christmas, you know, kind of in that I, I mentioned a few weeks ago that blur between Christmas and New Year's. We're like, what day is it? Did I change my clothes today? I don't remember. But it was one of those days of that week where I just was uh, checking Facebook, I was scrolling through, and all of a sudden I became completely overwhelmed by the number of ads that I was seeing. Have you guys had this experience lately? Yeah. And things I I was seeing, uh, things like um, improve your posture in just 14 days, Uh, speak a new language in three weeks. Find uh, find yourself younger-looking and plump skin with these four easy steps. I even had an ad for something called Frownies. It's just like actually something you put for, I guess, for your... your... Okay, I, okay. So it's like the, like the patch you put on your face at night to get rid of the, the frown, like the furrow marks, the lines that you might find on your face. Hydrate your skin and look younger. All kinds of different... Um, workouts, you know, different workout regimens, but specifically targeted for young moms. So I was like, okay. Uh, Teeth whitening, a mouth guard so you don't wake up with headaches. Uh, I could have surveyed my gut to have it analyzed in just two minutes. I was like, whoa, (laughs) that's scary. That's a good idea. And oh, (laughs) says Dr. McClave. (laughs) That's a good idea. I'll show you the quiz later. In two minutes, though, in two minutes, I don't know. Uh, Take this quiz to increase your focus and productivity and decrease burnout. There was something for dermal repair to get rid of uh, smile lines. Um, And then my favorite, maybe not my favorite, but the most interesting was something called face yoga, where you could start doing face yoga to get rid of your lines. Oh, no, I didn't click on it. (laughs) Never click on it. But I I mean, just y'all, it covered, it was everything, right? But honestly, it felt a little uh, targeted to maybe uh, sleep-deprived moms of littles that might start noticing, I don't know, bags under their eyes or some new lines that weren't there before. I had no idea what had changed. Or what was happening but I immediately went into my settings and tried to change all of my ad settings again and just to to you know reset kind of that whole feed but I think it was intentional it was targeted that week in between Christmas and New Year the start of a new year the noise gets louder right that time of year Uh, to to perform, to achieve, to improve, to get in shape, to start new habits, I think the noise grows especially louder. Kind of still this time of year, early in a new year, kind of this subliminal message underneath of make this your best year yet, and you can do it if you just buy our product. make this your best year yet. And so honestly, it's a pretty simple start to this new teaching series. I just want to help us cut through that noise of all of the plans, of all of the goals that we could have, of everything the world tells us should be our priority. I just want to kind of cut through the noise to say, as disciples of Jesus Christ, whose goal should be sanctification, Right? If our goal is to simply grow in love and grace and become more like Christ, what would it look like if we simply start the year out together by saying, we have one goal, and that's to live like Jesus. This year, I just want to live like Jesus. Now, it's okay to have other goals, to have some maybe health goals that you're working on for for self-care and checking out your gut and go visit Dr. McClive and live our, you know, take care of ourselves as a way of worship and and loving ourselves and the the body and life that God has given us. We can have other goals and other plans that we're going to travel, maybe professional goals and professional development. And others, I just want to note, some of us might be in this space where we're just so overwhelmed by our stage in life that we can't even find the energy to even make goals for anything else. And that's, that's an overwhelming place in life in and of itself. And so in all this overwhelm, What if the one goal, the pressing goal that carries the most weight and purpose in our lives and identity for 2023 is to simply live like Jesus? Because when all is said and done, isn't that the most important thing? Isn't that the most important thing? Yes. Thank you. Amen. And so how? How do we do this? Well, I think we focus on loving what Jesus loved and also valuing what Jesus valued. So in this series, for just a few weeks, we're going to look at a different value of Jesus that we see in Scripture, that we see in the Gospels, of how he lived his life, and focus on making that a value of our lives this year. Uh, You all know that I'm going to be leading a book study on um, Think Red by Larry Stess. The subtitle is Living and Loving Like Jesus. So in his book, he covers like 12 different values. We're not going to do all 12 on Sunday mornings. Uh, and I've sort of very much adapted and, and used some of the great work that he did there to just kind of highlight a few values here on Sunday morning. But if you're interested in going deeper and, and having conversation and studying more, I invite you to the study that starts this Tuesday at 6:30. Think red. And also, many of you have reached out that you couldn't make an evening or Tuesday night specifically. So I'm also going to be here Thursdays at noon for the next three Thursdays. If you would like a noon lunchtime study, grab your lunch. Come eat with me for about an hour, hour and a half. We'll talk about the book together. The first week we'll do about just the first three chapters, not too much. So either Tuesday night, 630 or Thursday at noon here at the church, come visit. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. All right, so the first value that we're going to jump into this morning, pretty simple, you guys. I want to cut through this noise, keep it simple, living like Jesus. To live like Jesus, we got to know what did he love and what did he value. The first value, friendship. We're going to read from the Gospel of John, John chapter 15. This is a passage that I have taught here before that you have probably heard before. It's a familiar one, and so your challenge this morning is to try and hear something new. To try to experience it in a different light. See how the Spirit might speak to your heart this morning. It's 17 verses. I'm going to kind of cover it in two different parts. So I'm going to start John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The first text we're going to look at this morning, what I should have had you do is count the number of times that Jesus says the word abide in that passage. Abide in me. Stay with me, he says, which is kind of an ironic message at this point because this is part of what we call the farewell discourse in the Gospel of John, which is about four chapters between chapters 14 and 17, in which Jesus is saying goodbye to his disciples. So right here he's saying, stay with me, stay with me, but he's also saying goodbye and talking about how he is going to leave them. In just the next couple of chapters, this is chapter John 13. He's having the Last Supper. He's washing the disciples' feet. He says, I won't be with you much longer. I'm going to go to the Father. Um, He says things like, I will not leave you as orphaned, though. In the next chapter, I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit to you. He gives them a new command to love one another. He tells them, do not fear. He says things like, do not fear, for I have overcome the world. And if the world hates you, just remember that it hated me first. I really encourage you this week to go back and read chapters 13 or 14 through 17. It's not so much a discourse as much as a really long monologue of Jesus, but it's really, really good stuff that I think speaks to our encouraging, It kind of encourages our hearts on this side of eternity. Before Jesus has returned, we actually find ourselves in the same place the disciples are. And the words that he speaks to them on that night in this discourse are powerful. So go back this week, maybe reflect on those and see how the Spirit might speak to and encourage your heart. But he's saying goodbye to his disciples. He's saying, you won't see me much longer. Preparing them for how sort of their relationship will change, but also here saying, stay with me. Abide with you, Uh, abide with me, and I will abide with you still. It's a relational metaphor, of course. That's the the whole point of this sort of image that he gives us with a vine and branches. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. We know this. It's impossible for a branch to grow and thrive and produce fruit unless it stays connected to the vine, unless it um, can flourish there. We, we too, in order to bear fruit, must stay connected to Jesus. But the relational metaphor continues. He, he builds on it. It's not just Jesus as the vine. He also introduces us to the Father who is the vine dresser or the gardener, the one that prunes, the one that tends, the one that brings forth that life. It is Jesus who connects us to the Father. It is Jesus who reveals God's love to us. And this is a theme all throughout the Gospel of John where we see Jesus saying throughout, I am the good shepherd and I am the bread, the bread of life. I am the gate and here I am the vine. One of those seven I am statements of Jesus that reveals to us the glory and love of God. Jesus says, abide with me and I will take you with me, into relationship with God the Father, with the divine. There's a part that kind of feels a little conditional that I just wanted to address here real quick. That's like, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. And if, it sort of feels like if you really love me, you will do these things. And here later in the second section I'm about to read, he says, if you are my friend, then you will keep my commands. This kind of if-then language that I think we can read in sort of a troubling way. Um, but there's a Caroline Lewis, a, a biblical interpreter, a, a professor. She says that the Greek here and the syntax of this sentence, instead of the sort of if-then conditional, it should read more, it's best understood as since you love me. Not if you love me, then prove it. But since you love me, since you are connected to me, says Jesus, then you will be able to love. So then you will be empowered to love. Just in the next chapter, we will hear Jesus promise to send the Holy Spirit to be with them. Spoiler alert, that's how they're going to abide with Jesus, through the gift of his Spirit. So this is a whole relational metaphor that's inviting people into the whole Trinitarian nature of God the Father, Jesus the Son. We are empowered by the Spirit to go and to love and to bear fruit. Because God first loved us. Because we are connected to that vine through Jesus. I love the image of this. Richard Rohr says that our true self, our true self is with Christ, hidden in God. So we have this kind of idea of like a false self would be like the false ego of what we, what we want the world to see, what we might project, what we want others to think about us. right? But the true self of who we really are, the true self is in Christ, hidden with God. And it's Jesus who, who takes us back to that true self in relationship with God, our creator, and God, our father. And we're then empowered by the Holy Spirit from that identity, right? From that identity to go and to bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, you might think, as another, another level of that image that is relational. Okay, but then he takes it a step farther. It's not just Jesus the vine. It's not just the Father who is the vine dresser. The second section of this chapter says this. Verses 12 through 17. Here we go. Here we go. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. There's that, what we have addressed. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the only time in the Gospel of John that Jesus calls his disciples friends. And it's important to know that in sort of the ancient world, Greco-Roman culture, the understanding here of friends carried a lot of weight. And they would have known this. This would have been what Jesus was kind of drawing on. From some Hellenistic philosophers and writers like Aristotle and Plato, we know that there are two things about the ideals of friendship in the culture at this time. The first is that there was a willingness to give your life for a friend, there was sort of this even like social expectation, a mutual obligation of like this was sort of the, the foundational relationship on which the whole city-state relied. And then there was this sort of almost an allegiance of a friend that a, a virtuous man's conduct, says Aristotle, would be often guided by the interest of his friends and of his country, both of which would be necessary for you to maybe lay down your life this kind of understanding of how society worked, the relationship of of a friend was foundational. So there was a willingness to give your life for a friend, and then two, to speak openly and honestly to them and hold nothing back. This idea that it would be unkind or unfriendly to not tell the truth or to not share what was on your mind. Similar to how we might think of friends today, especially in kind of having open and honest conversation of being able to speak the truth and and to speak it with love. We might think about people that we love so much that we might lay down our life for a friend, but often when we think about friends culturally, we think about the people we go to dinner with or the people we go maybe on a trip with or spend time with. But is it the intensity of a love that you'd be willing to lay down your life for a friend? Sometimes, yeah, maybe. But this was the cultural expectation of the day. So for Jesus to call them friends, no longer servants, he's leveling this playing field, right? It's not that you just serve me, it's that you are calling me friend. That we now have this mutual obligation and dependence and reliance on one another and Jesus also models this friendship, right? I mean, he fulfills these two ideals because he lays down his life for them. And for all of us, all that will come after to call Jesus friend, Jesus lays down his life for them. And he also speaks open and honestly. We see that he's, he tells them, I, I have, in verse 15, I have shared, no longer do I call you servants. I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made it known to you. He shares everything he knows with them. He speaks to them. He loves them, right? He fulfills this ideal of friendship. It is clear from Jesus's life and from his teachings that friendship is a clear value to Jesus. Friendship is the foundational relationship that he is showing us here in this passage of what it means to be in relationship with the divine, connected to Jesus, in a relationship with God the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He calls this friendship, this foundational identity for who we are in Christ. Uh, Larry says in his book, he breaks it down in kind of three types of friendship that we see Jesus practice in his life and ministry— Three, three, three types of friendship. There's friendship with God, there's friendship with the family of God, and there's friendship with the forgotten. Three things that we see, three, three practices of friendship that, that we see in Jesus' life that are a priority to him. Friendship with God. He says this. This is a long quote, but it's really, really good, so hang with me. He says about friendship with God, if our hope is to build a community that looks like Jesus, we will give a great portion of our time and attention to cultivating a spiritual and deeply intimate friendship with God. Our calendars will have plenty of scheduled appointments where we meet alone with God. We will have a routine where we meet with God in corporate worship, and we will set apart a portion of time each day to listen intently to God's voice without distraction. An intimate friendship with God will sharpen our sensitivity to the life and movement of the Holy Spirit in the world. We will, be, we will become more aware that all of life and all relationships are interlaced and lived out in the presence of God. Placing a priority on our friendship with God will increase the value we place on all other relationships. It will increase our capacity to love our family and love our neighbors with higher regard cultivating a deep friendship with God. Our true self is in Christ, hidden with God. When we find our place and our identity and our worth and mission there, everything else can be an outgrowth from that place, right? Every other relationship that we have with our family, with our friends and service will be a growth from that love because we've been empowered to go and to love and to serve. That's our foundational relationship, right? And in that second one, there's friendship with the family of God. Pretty easy, obvious, look around. This is our family, the family of God, part of our identity now that we've been claimed and accepted into this body of believers. Now we're encouraged to be friends. Friends. <laughs> to develop these relationships. Jesus called his disciples to love one another, to live in unity as a family of God. And that family is diverse, right? That family that Jesus gathered, they were a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors, political zealots. There were women. (laughs) There were women too. Jesus calls them to befriend one another, right? To be diverse, to see one another, to live in unity, to abide together in Christ means we should invest in the relationships there as well. To abide together. I think of like a bunch of grapes on a vine. I think I've shared this with you before. We, you know, there's not just one, it's a bunch that kind of abide together in the vine. That's what we're called to do. To invest in friendships, to cultivate relationships here among the family of God. It's those people that will help spur you on to love and to love Christ, right? This doesn't mean we don't have friends with other people. That's coming next. But it means that if this is going to be the foundational relationship to our identity in Christ, and if that's going to be our top value, then it would be helpful in life to have friends who share that value. Whoa. The friends that can help spur us on to love and good deeds, says Scripture, right? The friends that can, can love us and hold us accountable, And here at Revolution, we are passionate about doing that. And there's all kinds of ways that we would encourage you to develop friendships with one another, whether that's a house group or forming a band for accountability, joining a pastor's book study where you might get to know new people. I don't know, right? And me! Oh, I would love that. You know... I have lunch out with a lot of you often, but there are some days when it's just me here and at lunch by myself. And so I'm so excited for Thursdays to see who might come visit. Thank you, Steve. To develop friendships with one another here and how we might spur one another on to become more like Christ. And then that last one is Jesus uh, developing friendship with the forgotten or with the least of these Jesus was a friend to the poor and to the oppressed. We're going to be bringing this one up again and talking about it more um, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, But it's very clear that with how Jesus lived his life, he figured out a way to be a friend to the oppressed and the poor and the marginalized. Larry Stess says this, As we watch Jesus engage with... In relationships with the poor, as we watch Jesus engage in relationships with the poor, we get a glimpse at how he moves in rhythm with God's heart. Friendship with the poor and the forgotten comes natural to Jesus, as natural as breathing. You never see him patronize or exploit people. He never forces his agenda on them. Compassion and love are always his motivation, never pity. When you listen in on the conversations Jesus has with people, you get a strong sense that he loves everyone he meets and yet he seems to have a special affinity with those who are poor and marginalized. Whether it's talking and healing the man who was living in the tombs, whether it was meeting with the Samaritan woman, whether it was healing the woman and speaking with the woman who had an issue of blood, whether it was tax collectors or lepers or other people that he chose to heal, even the dead. Anybody who was marginalized, avoided, forgotten by society, Jesus found a way to embrace and heal and love them. Jesus was a friend to the forgotten and calls us to be friends with them, the least of, them, least of these, everyone, us, that's us too, y'all. He calls us to friendship. A friend of Jesus will befriend the marginalized and the oppressed and give special attention to the poor speak on behalf of those who are oppressed, and seek ways to create a more just world, to be a friend. To have that value of friendship like Jesus, maybe a focus for us, for you this year, can be to be a friend of God, to be a friend of the family of God, and to be a friend with the forgotten I'll close with this kind of image. I was at a meeting earlier this week where I heard the story of a Lutheran pastor, actually a Lutheran bishop, uh, who found himself, after having three pretty significant speeding tickets right in a row, uh, wound up in traffic court where he was sent to defensive driving school where he had to complete one of those courses. Oh, brother. (laughs) And so he goes, and he says the instructor gathered them around, and he's asking everybody, who are you and where are you from? (laughs) And he thought, great, I'm going to be outed as a man of God here in defensive driving school. (laughs) But afterwards, the instructor went and asked each person, why are you here, and where were you going in such a hurry? Yeah. Well, the bishop is like, why am I here? It's because I've gotten three speeding tickets. Like, isn't it obvious Where are you going in such a hurry? Isn't it obvious I was speeding, that's why I'm here. But the instructor looked at him and he said it again. Why are you here? Where were you going in such a hurry? And then he added a third question. Don't you know there's only a grave waiting for you at the end of the road? All of a sudden the bishop realized that this was an existential question (laughs) that this instructor was asking him. Why are you here? And where were you going in such a hurry? There's a place in the Gospel of John where Jesus asks the early disciples a similar question. It's in John chapter 1. It's in John chapter 1, where some of the disciples are walking by and they say, they see John say, Here, behold, the the Lamb of God. And a couple of the disciples, they start following Jesus. And Jesus turns around and, and he says to them, What are you seeking? of a way to ask why are you here what are what are you seeking and the disciples kind of look at each other i imagine and they say where are you staying we want to go and be with you and i always always think of it as like what hotel are you staying in what inn? can we come and have dinner we just want to talk with you the greek word actually is abide where are you abiding the disciples ask jesus and his response is simple come and see And 14 chapters later, we have Jesus saying abide about 25 times. The next place in the gospel where that Greek word abide is used. And it's abide in me and I will abide in you. Abide with me with the Father who loves you. Your true self is there, hidden in Christ with God. Abide. In a world where there are so many things for us to rush toward, so many things for us to accomplish and do, that pressure to go, to hustle, to get it done, to achieve. Why are you here? And where are you going in such a hurry? The invitation is to slow down and to abide. To know that you are called and claimed and loved just as you are there, and that that's enough. And then from there, in the power of the Spirit, you can be sent to go and to love and to serve. Those questions of Jesus kind of cut through the noise for us. They do for me. What are you seeking? And the questions that Bishop shared where are you going in such a hurry? I hear that invitation from God to slow down, to make these the more important things, these values of Jesus, so that we might become more like him and make our our year simple to live like Jesus. Friendship with God, friendship with the family of God, and friendship with the forgotten. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. And for the invitation into relationship with you that changes everything. Help us to not miss that this morning. That an invitation from Christ to abide with him changes everything. It changes our identity. It changes our purpose. It changes our outlook on the world. It, it gives us meaning. <laughs> Remind us this morning that that is the most important place to start. Remind us this morning that if the world hates us, it's because it hated you first, and that sometimes the world will not accept this kind of earth-shattering, world-changing definition of being in relationship with you, of finding our identity grounded there. Give us peace this morning, God. Overwhelm us that of all that's demanded of us when we leave these doors, of all that's expected of us, of all that's making us anxious, even now as we think about what the week might hold, help us to breathe deep, to slow down, and to hear your voice saying simply, Abide with me. Abide with me. And I will abide with you and empower you and strengthen you to do all that's important in this world. We thank you, Lord, for this invitation. We thank you, Lord, for this love. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.